Wellspring podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. What kind of God do we serve, church? God of the impossible, amen? In whom nothing is impossible. That's the God that the Apostle Paul discovered changed his life. It's the God that we have discovered changing our lives. Amen. We're in Philippians chapter 3. When Saul of Tarsus was confronted by Christ Jesus on the road to Damascus, you can read all about it in Acts chapter 9, his whole world was turned right side up. I'm saying like that because it was already upside down, right? He had been leaning on his achievements, relying on religion, trusting in tradition, and priding himself on his pedigree. But all of that went up in smoke due to the glorious transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He experienced salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And from that moment on, joy entered into his life, abiding deep-seated joy that he had not known that could keep him singing, even during times like we read about in Acts 16, locked up, singing and praising God at midnight in a Philippian jail. Now that's deep-seated joy. Would you agree? But Paul wants to make sure here in this passage that we're in, we'll be picking up in chapter 3, verse 12. He wants to make sure that he makes something very, very clear to his first century readers, which would include us here tonight. This did not mean that he had come to a place where he had arrived. His Damascus Road experience didn't somehow snatch him up from earth and drop him in downtown heavenly Jerusalem. (laughs) Okay, that that wasn't the case. Instead, what it did do is it turned him from going down the wrong path, got him going on the right path, and got him started on the journey of faith, which he thought he was doing, but found out he was far from it. And now... He's going in a new and right way. It's a new mission for Christ-likeness, which had begun, okay? Christ-likeness. In Paul's in-depth description of the journey of faith found before us here in Philippians 3, we, we can see a number of vital principles which serve us as great reminders, not to mention safeguards as Paul mentions that term in back in verse 1 it's because of it that Paul felt that were were uh, they were important these safeguards these reminders were important to share with those who are on the very same path that he was now on this journey of faith and so first of all the first thing that we're going to find comes in verse 12 and that is this and this is very I think very important to Paul that we get this and understand this because there's a lot of freedom in it for us. God's plan is about growing, not perfection. Hang with me now, okay? Verse 12, let's read it. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made 
perfect. You see, he uses that word. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And I think in order for us to fully appreciate what is being said in verse 12, we got to go back and revisit verses 10 and 11. These verses are referring to the perfection of Jesus. Look at them with me real quickly. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of, uh, and, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, becoming like him, okay? And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Again, these verses, verses 10 and 11, connected with verse 12 where we're picking it up this evening, are referring to and talking about the perfection of Jesus. So the result of this new relationship was the power of Christ's resurrection had become a present reality. Are you hearing that, church? Is that what it is for you tonight? A present, moment by moment, 24-7, 365 reality. Yeah. And Paul had discovered that. And he's living in that. And he's encouraging the Philippians and us tonight to live in that as well. Present reality, allowing him to rejoice even as he shared in Christ's sufferings. Are you hearing that part? <laughs> Even as he was sharing in Christ's suffering, Paul could now see that all of the hardships he was enduring for his faith were a means of conforming him to Christ's character. Namely, what we've been talking about, selfless humility, sacrificial living, where we said last week where true joy is found. Paul had discovered that. And this new relationship sealed the promise of a future hope. The blessed hope it is referred to in the New Testament, attaining to the resurrection from the dead, the way of the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, please understand, church, this isn't just about getting your ticket punched for a train trip to heaven. It's so much more than that. It's also about our finally experiencing the full effect of our salvation. What, did, what does Paul tell us in Corinthians chapter 13? But now I see through a glass, what? Darkly. We're not seeing all of it, but we will someday. We're not getting to experience the full effect of our salvation, but we will someday. That's what Paul's talking about here. Paul also wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you know these words, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, <laughs> at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be the same. <laughs> Aren't you? Yeah. Oh, that's not what it says, is it? What's it say, Kenny? And we changed. <laughs> and we will be changed. So perfection is what's in view here and is why Paul says what he says 
in verse 12. Perfection is the great end for the believer. Are you a believer tonight? God has taken hold of you as a believer to make you perfect so that you can live and worship and serve Christ forever. Now note a critical point. I know I don't have to tell you this, but just in case. No person achieves perfection in this life on this earth. Does that come as a disappointment? <laughs> we know it's true, right? Yeah. Observe what Paul says, though. Check this out. He had not yet obtained the full outcome of his salvation. That's what he's telling us. He had not attained perfection, in other words. As one commentator notes, the all this that we read about in verse 12 undoubtedly refers to the experiential process that begun in his salvation on that Damascus road. Paul was on the same path that every single one of us are on tonight. He had been justified, in other words, declared righteous by God. That was a good place to say, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Amen. You have been declared righteous by God on the basis of the merits of Christ is why God makes that sanctified as he looked forward to that one day being glorified through resurrection. Someday for sure, church, but not now. Not in this life. The power of Christ in Paul's life awakened him to want to know Christ better and this would take a lifetime. We're in process, amen? Every single one of us. Pressing on, the term we find in this 12th verse is a, actually a first century hunting term. How many hunters we get out there besides Larry? <laughs> It's a hunting term, Larry, first century hunting term. It meaning to chase or to hunt down, pressing on, chasing, hunting down this relationship and getting to know Christ more and more and more with every day that we live. Christ Jesus took hold of Paul almost 30 years earlier when Paul was converted to Christ. And when Christ laid hold of Paul so that Paul, he says, could lay hold of the prize. And so what's the prize? Knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord, who is Lord of all. Knowing him fully and completely, which is out in front of us. Amen. Yeah. To become better followers of Christ, we must, like Paul, not become complacent with our spiritual condition. Right? We will never grow in our relationship with Jesus until we actually come to that point and realize that growth is mandatory. <laughs> growth is necessary. 
This is precisely the principle, the reminder, the safeguard that Paul knows we need to hear and apply to our lives. That the plan is growth, church, and development, not perfection this side of heaven. And we need to be okay with that. Right? Okay with it in the sense with, okay, I'm not perfect, not going to be this side of heaven, but that is not going to stop me from growing and maturing and becoming more like him. That's the whole point. Not getting complacent in our spiritual condition. Always longing and hungering and thirsting for more of him. Nevertheless, to make the most of our lives, we must develop then a growing relationship with Christ. And then secondly, we've got to leave the past in the past. Look at the next two verses with me. Verses, the first couple parts of verse 13. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do. I forget about what is behind me. We can press on through the long haul when we keep our eyes on the road ahead of us rather than being obsessively fixated on what's behind. Would you agree? To emphasize this point, Paul uses a Greek word which means to disregard or put out of mind. In this specific context, Paul is talking about the garbage that was scattered on the road when his old life prior to Christ blew up. <laughs> all of his self-righteous striving and all of the harm he had done in his pride and arrogance, living in the past whether basking in old glories or pouting, pouting over old defeats keeps us from advancing boldly, dare I say joyfully, into the future that Christ holds out for us. And we can if we would just simply trust the plan of God. Think about it. If you drive a car while looking in the rearview mirror, it's not going to take very long before you end up in a terrible accident. To keep projecting the same old movie reels over and over and over again in our minds will hinder us from moving forward and learning new lessons and growing and maturing in a deeper relationship with Jesus. Paul is encouraging us to stop wasting time regretting the past. It's past. It's gone. Let go of your guilt, grief, and grudges. You can't change the past, but here's some good news. With God's help, you can change your future. Holding on to the past, whether glory days or painful days, is not a healthy thing to do. Amen? That prevents us from being what God wants us to be in the moment, in the present, in the here and now, which is going to affect your tomorrow. Amen? 
To make the most of your life, stop concentrating on what you have been and start concentrating on what you can be in Christ Jesus. Please keep in mind that in Bible terminology, and I think this is so important for us all to understand and get, in Bible terminology, to forget does not mean to fail to remember. Because we're all sitting here and we know and we've, we have tried, haven't we? We've heard these words before. We've been encouraged before in past Bible studies or sermons or whatever, wherever you have been. You've got to forget the past. You've got to move on. And you like the idea. It sounds so good and you want it so bad. But you know you can't. You can't erase the memory, can you? As hard as we and as much as we wish we could. But biblically, to forget does not mean to fail to remember. No rational, mature person can forget what has happened in the past. Let's just be honest about that. We may wish, like I said, that we could erase certain bad memories, but we cannot. Here's the truth, and here's what it comes down to. This is liberty and this is freedom that Christ brings to us. To forget in the Bible means to no longer be influenced by or affected by that memory. It means to no longer be influenced by or affected by that memory that tends to want to haunt you and keep you stuck. Actually, it is God who becomes our great example to follow in this whole idea of leaving the past in the past. Listen to this. When God promises in Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. And in Hebrews 10, 17, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. What? He is not suggesting that he will not all of a sudden conveniently have a lapse of memory. He's God. What God is saying is, I will no longer hold their sins against them. Their sins can no longer affect their standing with me or influence my attitude and my love and my grace and my mercy towards them. Live in that, church. Live in it. Oh, I love those songs we sang tonight. Believe for it. Chains have been broken. So why do you keep picking them up? Hauling them down the road with you. You've been set free. Live it. Thirdly, (laughs) are it. The rest of verse 13 and then into verse 14, you know, it's forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul employs the image of a runner in a race who hopes to win the prize. He dares not look back. He cannot cloud his mind with past memories of defeat in some previous race. He strains every muscle in his body to achieve forward motion. His eyes are focused on the finish line. 
Could it be that Paul is forgetting the guilt of persecuting the church? Is he putting behind the pain of prison and physical punishment and abuse? Is he letting go of the frustration and disappointment of disobedient church members and false teachers as he looks ahead to see the resurrection where he will hear God call his name and summon him to the victory stand where he shall and he will See Jesus face to face and finally and fully know him and be like him. How many of you know earthly prizes do not last? How many of you know eternal prizes do? (laughs) The goal can never be realized on earth, but it is a goal that pulls us heavenward. I love that terminology, don't you? Are you feeling a little pulled right now? (laughs) In the late 1950s, you all know this. I I just wanted to revisit it again. Jim Elliott gave up his life to reach a hostile tribe in the jungles of Ecuador. And his words have become immortalized. You know them. He is not a fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. While Paul was not spiritually where he thought he would ultimately be, he was not going to be distracted by anything as he ran the race, leaving the past in the past and reaching forward like a runner. Can you picture it? That runner leaning into the finish line. That's what he's giving us here. Leaning forward like a runner. Not yet perfect, but seeing it in Christ, knowing that it will eventually be his and will be ours as he, as we, stretch out toward the finish line, pursuing the goal which God has called us heavenward for. Fourthly, our attitude matters. First part of verse 15, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. Just stop right there for a moment. The message puts that like this. So let's keep focused on that goal. Those of us who want everything God has for us. Does that include you here tonight? Yeah. Paul pointed to a difference of opinion as to the meaning of perfection. Keep in mind his opponents, the ones he's re- re- refuting here in this letter, you know, the false teachers, the, those legalistic Judaizers who are causing all kinds of trouble, thought that they had obeyed the law to the point to where they had actually come to a place on this earth where they had achieved perfection. Paul knew it wasn't true for them, no more that it was not true for himself. And if anybody could boast about it, like we saw last week, it would be him, amen? The only persons who could claim to be a part of the mature ones were those who knew that running the race and seeking the goal was the one and only true mark of the process of growing toward Christ-likeness on this earth, the process. The term view that we find here in this verse is a translation of, of the Greek word, which means attitude. 
Therefore, why I say attitude matters is a s subheading here. It's the Greek word for attitude. It means to, s to set one's mind on or to be intent on. Paul is admonishing the mature person in Christ to keep pressing on. Don't get distracted. And when you're feeling weary, call out to God and just keep going. And keep going. And keep going. What about those who aren't mature enough to face the future with the kind of all-out determination, attitude, and dedication that Paul exemplifies? Well, the last part of verse 15 answers that. Look at that with me. He says, and if on some point you think differently, <laughs> differently of, of what? Of what he's been presenting here, right? If you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Wow. Isn't that awesome? We can trust God and his plan. He's got a good plan and we can trust it. Yes, we can. L listen to that, that second part of verse 15 again from the message. It says, if any of you have something else in mind, <laughs> something less than total commitment, God will clear your blurred vision. Don't you love that? <laughs> You'll see it yet. <laughs> I love that. That is so good. You know what Paul's doing here? I think he is graciously acknowledging that everybody grows in Christ at different paces. How cool for Paul to acknowledge that. I remember playing football back in high school and either before practice or after practice or maybe before and after practice, the coaches would make us run. I hated running, you know, just running. And it's on the practice fields. I'm not talking about just running the 100-yard football field, but on the practice field that where our school was at. It was probably a four-acre piece of ground, and we'd have to run the perimeter of that. And if those of you have done that, you, you know what happens. It's like the real aggressive ones, they're way out there in front, right? And then, and then there's that middle group. <laughs> and then there's those way back there behind. In the spiritual marathon, some will be nearing the finish line at full speed. There will be those. Others will be farther behind. Some will be trudging along at a snail's pace. And a few will be dragged along by others. We all grow at different paces. Paul knew that not everybody was yet in the same condition for running the race at top speed, but he was confident that God would continue to work in them toward the upward call in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. And then finally, verse 16, only let us live up to what we have all ready attained wow in other words when I along with what else is in here what I'm also seeing that this whole race thing 
this whole mature ones team effort, no Lone Ranger solo efforts allowed. Okay? It's a team effort. It's not a solo mission. As Christians, we should be continually growing and becoming more like Jesus Christ. Christians should be like fruit on a tree, green fruit on a tree, always maturing. Picture that with me. When a piece of fruit reaches maturity and becomes ripe, what happens? It be- yeah, I heard that. It begins to rot. When you think you are all you need to be as a Christian and are completely mature, you will begin to rot spiritually. And just right now, I hadn't thought of this before, but just right now, rotting fruit stinks. (laughs) Right? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Do you want me to say it? Can I say it? If you go down that path and you begin to rot spiritually, you're going to be a stinking Christian. The problem with many Christians today, I think, is not that they don't know enough Bible. The problem is they don't live the Bible they have in them. It's having the attitude that Paul no doubt had that we must get into our lives. I am complete and mature in the sense that I have grown as far as I can at the present, but now I am ready for the next lesson. Amen? Is that where Christ finds you tonight? Are you ready for the next lesson? As each of us maintains our own level of spiritual maturity, we are also to encourage others, it's a team effort, to do the same. We are to lock arms with our brothers and sisters in the family of God and help each other get to the finish line, amen? To keep our eyes on the finish line, which is Christ. If we see one of our brothers or sisters slowing down in the race, we need to come alongside and remind them to look up and look forward, to press on toward maturity. Again, we are to be a team, not a bunch of lone rangers. I think you would agree, sometimes a little Holy Spirit motivation helps, amen? It reminds me of a story of a young man who really had his eyes on a girl and and he wanted to date her, and he finally secures a date with her, and, and he, he stops by the candy shop. And he goes inside and talks to the salesman. He says to the salesman, I need three separate um, orders of candy. I need a $5 assortment, a $10 assortment, and a $25 assortment. And the salesman says, well, you know, he was wondering, well, what's this all about? So he asked the young man, and the guy says, well, when I go to pick her up from our first date, if, if she comes out and greets me with a handshake, she's going to get the $5 candy. If she gives me a good hug, she's going to get the $10 candy. But if she gives me a really good kiss, <laughs> she's going to get the $25 box. He goes, knocks on the door, and the family is getting ready to have dinner. He's invited in for dinner, and he accepts They sit down at the table, and the father says, young man, would you pray the blessing? And boy, does he pray. He gives it his best 
most spiritual, using the most best vocabulary he can come up with. And prays for a little bit. You know, not just a quickie, it's a two, three minute prayer. When he finally finishes, the girl leans over and says, I did not know you were so spiritual. To which he says, I did not know your dad was the candy salesman. (laughs) (laughs) One commentator concludes this passage with these words. There are a great many Christians today talking about wishing Christ would come. But if they really knew what it will mean for them, they would probably like to postpone it for a while. If you think that you can live a careless Christian life and not have to answer for it, you are entirely wrong. One of these days you will have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of the way you lived your life. And then the writer says, I suggest that you get down onto the racetrack. Employ some godly motivation and start running and living for Christ Jesus. How many got your running suits ready? (laughs) Get our calisthenics in and let's run for Jesus. Amen. Until he calls us heavenward and enjoy our salvation fully and completely and at that point get to know him and be like him, perfect in every way. Father, we come before you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that you are the God of the impossible. We thank you that because of your work on the cross, you have broken the chains of our lives. We are free to run unhindered, unencumbered, freely moving closer and closer towards you our eyes on the finish line and you are that finish line help us God to not get complacent but to keep our feet moving one step in front of the other in faith trusting your plan and allowing you to shape us and grow us in the meantime here on this side of heaven forming us into the image of your son which again will be fully realized when we see you there on that day we thank you God for this we pray in Christ's name Amen Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift up.